John chapter 16. Verse 1. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put out, put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he, he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I'll send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of that which is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. A little while and you will not see me. And again a little while and you will see me, because I go to the Father. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again a little while and you will see me. And because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is this that he says? A little while. We do not know what he's saying. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him and said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while and you will see me. And again, a little while and you you will see me. Sorry, you will not see me and you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman when she's in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask in my my name, he will give to you. Until now, you, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. These things I've spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me, and you have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. And his disciples said to him, See now, you're speaking plainly and you're using no figure of speech. Now we're sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, has now come that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace in the world. Sorry, you may have peace. 
In the world you will have tribulation or trouble. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. It would take a lot of unpicking to get into everything Jesus is saying in this passage. It would probably take us several weeks. But we're not going to unpick everything. We're just going to pick out some themes. Um, It's going to be a bit more of a teaching this morning. So if if you're looking for goosebumps, sorry. Uh, It's time time to actually listen and and hopefully learn learn something. Because I'm going to teach out of this passage rather than preach it. But Jesus begins these verses by warning the disciples of the persecution that was to come. And this is a theme he concluded with at the end of chapter 15, and he concludes it again at the end of chapter 16. So interwoven throughout all of these chapters, chapters 13 through to 17, is this theme of, when I'm gone, there's going to be persecution. But the theme also is always added, he always adds to it by saying, even though you're going to go through persecution, I'll be with you. Because the Holy Spirit is being sent to come alongside you. And that's the promise that no matter what we go through in life, no matter what circumstances, no matter who stands against us or what seeks to overcome us, the Holy Spirit is with us. And what does he say? The Holy Spirit effectively is the presence of Jesus with us. And we'll unwrap that a little bit more as we go. And so throughout these chapters, Jesus, from chapters 13 through 17, Jesus keeps referring to the work of the Holy Spirit and how he'll help the disciples once Jesus has returned to the Father. And so we're going to focus this week on the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, as promised in these chapters. Normally when people teach on the Holy Spirit, they teach on the baptism in the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit and that kind of thing. That's not the focus of these chapters. Jesus attributes some very different things to the work of the Holy Spirit than we would normally look at. And so that's what we're going to examine this morning. What the Holy Spirit does with us, through us, and for us. Just by being the presence of God with us. So let's firstly deal with the name given to the Holy Spirit uniquely in these passages. He's referred to as the comforter, or the advocate, or the helper Anyone else got anything, any variation on those words? Counselor. Counselor. Anyone else? Verse, verse 7, the helper I've got in my, my translation. Counselor. Advocate, counsellor, comforter. All of these words have been used in different translations. The Greek word is the word parakletos, which means, which we would transliterate into English as paraclete. It means someone called alongside. And the closest word that we have in our English translation would be advocate. Advocate. What's an advocate? Somebody who pleads your case on your behalf. Intercessor, Intercessor, that's another interesting one. See, the Greek means all of these words together, but uh, but the most, um, the, the clearest, closest with English would be advocate. A lawyer, somebody who stands up in court before you um, on your behalf and actually pleads your case. Um, John Wycliffe translated this word as comforter, which was why it came into the King James Version as comforter. Um, 
because they took a lot of Wycliffe's translation when they translated the King James Version. But there is that sense of comfort in it anyway, because Jesus was saying, when I'm gone, I won't be with you anymore, but the Holy Spirit will come, and he will bring the comfort that you've had when you've been with me. And the Holy Spirit does bring us the comfort of Jesus, because he is Jesus' presence with us. But he's much more than just the comforter. He is that advocate. And, and this, this is the most suitable meaning because the whole of John's gospel operates as a courtroom. Um, I don't know if you remember me t- saying that right at the beginning of our journey through John. It's a courtroom scene. The whole go- gospel is John giving the case of why Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. From start to finish, John is using legal language and legal, um, a legal format in order to bring about a a discussion of who Jesus is, to prove Jesus is the Messiah, so that people would believe in him. The word witness is used 83 times in the writings of John, out of a total of 200 in the New Testament. And that's also associated with a courtroom. The sign miracles in John act as a testimony to the identity of Jesus. And these discourses, these talks with the disciples or with others throughout throughout the book, um, operate as a courtroom debate. And in chapter 5, we saw about the witnesses. There was John the Baptist. There was the works of Jesus. There was the Father. There was the Scriptures. And, the Mo- and there was Moses. All who, who affirm, all of whom affirm whom Jesus is. And so John is here as, as a lawyer pre- presenting the evidence for who Jesus is that demands a decision on behalf of the reader and the listener. Do you like courtroom dramas on TV? Judge Deed or, or whatever. <laughs> Judge Rinder, yeah. <laughs> Judge Rinder is, is slightly different because he doesn't have lawyers. To, to, the people have to stand for themselves. But this is what John is portraying. It's this big courtroom series. And he's called witnesses. But the most important witness that he's calling is the Holy Spirit. He is the one who gives witness to Jesus. He's given to assist assist the disciples in making the the, the case for Jesus. Jesus' time of advocacy is coming to an end, so he's handing over to a new advocate. And it literally means of the same kind. The Holy Spirit isn't different. He isn't bringing a different message. The Greek is very strong there. The paraclete is an advocate of the same kind that Jesus was. Jesus came to give witness to who the Father was. The Spirit is coming in exactly the same way way to bring witness of who Jesus is and who the Father is, of the same kind. And so there is a continuity of the work between Jesus and the Spirit of Truth. And it's confirmed in 1 John chapter 2 verse 1. It, I'm not going to hop over there, but what it says is, Jesus is an advocate with the Father on our behalf. Same word, parakletos. And what that's saying is, Jesus is pleading with the Father on our behalf whereas the Holy Spirit is pleading on our behalf with the world. You see the the link there? Jesus pleads with the Father on our behalf. Jesus is ever living to make intercession. Your, Your name is on his lips every day. He is pleading with the Father on your behalf. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus is there in heaven saying, remember my son, remember my daughter. Be with them during the day. And then the Holy Spirit is here on earth pleading and going before us in the world and being alongside us in all that we face. We have an advocate in heaven. We have an advocate on earth. 
So the, the parakletos, the Holy Spirit, is given to assist the disciples in this monumental struggle which has already be, been begun between Jesus and the world. And he's there to demonstrate who Jesus is. Jesus doesn't want the disciples left as orphans, we're told in verse 18 of chapter 14. He doesn't want us left as orphans. We're not without a defender or a protector in this great courtroom scene that's going on. And so the role of the Holy Spirit becomes threefold, and Jesus lays this out. In chapter 14, verse 26, if we just turn back there a moment. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So he's there to help the disciples to remember all things about Jesus and all that he's taught them so that they can give a true and accurate witness of him. And then in 15, verse 25 to 27. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled. Verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you, from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you will also bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. The Holy Spirit is given to to, to bear witness of Jesus on their behalf and to help them bear witness. So he's given them for them to help remember Jesus and all he taught them and then to bear witness with them and for them on behalf of Jesus. Then the third one, which is in this chapter we read today, chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's for your advantage that I go away. Verse 8. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So there's a threefold work that throughout these chapters that that Jesus um, allocates or or demonstrates that the Holy Spirit will come to do. He's the defense lawyer on behalf of the disciples to to bring the he's the prosecuting lawyer of the world. And in the in the trial the accused becomes the accuser because the Holy Spirit is there to bring a, about a conviction. So let's look at these three things that the Holy Spirit does for a moment in a bit more detail. Firstly, to remind the disciples of Jesus, 14 verse 26. The Holy Spirit was given to help these disciples remember everything about Jesus, what he taught, what he did, what he said so that they could then make that known to the world. This was certainly true of the early church, who took the good news of Jesus into all the world. And he helped them remember so that they could write it down, so that we could have an account of what Jesus was like and what he taught. At least three of the Gospels come from the disciples. Matthew's Gospel from, the, from Matthew. John's Gospel from John, of course, both disciples. Where's the third one? Mark's gospel, written or, or spoken by Peter and written down by Mark, most scholars believe. So we have effectively the gospel of Peter here as well. So we have three gospels that are written down by disciples and the Holy Spirit would have helped them remember, draw back from the teaching, uh, draw out from the teaching of Jesus enough to be able to write down this account that we have. They told the stories of Jesus' miracles. They reiterated his teachings. They performed the miracles as he had done, all through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
In the same way, the Holy Spirit will help us to remember the truth of who Jesus is and what he came to do when we need to witness for him. Have you ever been in that situation where somebody's questioning you about your faith? Most of us have, I hope. And, and you're in the situation and things are coming at you thick and fast and suddenly you find a wisdom that was beyond your understanding. You remember things from scriptures that you never thought you knew and they suddenly come out of your mouth. That's the Holy Spirit. That's what he's doing. He's bringing back to our remembrance the things we need in the moment so that we can give witness to Jesus. That's what Jesus promised he would do. And he does. And there are many times when I can say that that the Holy Spirit has been there giving me a wisdom beyond my understanding. There's just one proviso for that. If it ain't in there, it can't come out. We've got to be familiar with the word and familiar with our, in our relationship with Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit can bring back to our remembrance that which is put in. Remember to study. Remember to read. Remember to get acquaint yourself with Jesus and all that he is and all that he came to do. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is there to testify of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is already at work in the world testifying about Jesus. We may not always recognize his work. The first person, the first time somebody um, has an understanding of Jesus is not when we speak to them. The Holy Spirit is already at work in their heart. Already at work bringing conviction. Already at work revealing something of the need, their need for God. The Holy Spirit goes before us. How many of you read stories of the Islamic world where many times people have received a revelation of Jesus through the Holy Spirit as they've been seeking God? He is already at work. We need to find out where he's working and follow him. We need to recognize that the Holy Spirit goes before us and we need to look for the opportunities where he's already been at work in people's lives and then just bring the word of truth that God gives to us. So he's already there witnessing to Jesus. And then the third work that we mentioned was to convict the world of sin. Sin, righteousness and judgment. And these again are all courtroom terms. And in John's gospel, sin isn't what you do do or what you don't do. It's not about moral falling or anything like that. Do you know what the definition of sin is in John's gospel? That's it. Spot on. It's disbelief in Jesus. That's what John clarifies as sin as. That leaves a lot of people out there with sin. We don't need to stand on street corners telling people how evil they and wicked they are. They already know the good things and the bad things they do. The real sin is not believing in Jesus. And we need to make Jesus known. So that people can come to an understanding and a faith in him. So sin is disbelieving in Jesus, and that's what the Holy Spirit brings conviction about. Righteousness is the life of Jesus, shown to be vindicated through the resurrection and Jesus' exaltation. And and there's the comparison there between him and the religious leaders who presented themselves as righteous, but Jesus was the true righteousness. And then there's also judgment. He says judgment of the world has already taken place. 
Because the judgment of Satan has already taken place. He's already been judged and failed. And all who align with him are already judged. All who reject Jesus are already judged. But it's the Holy Spirit who convicts. And he will do that work in the lives of those that we go amongst. There are other functions of the Holy Spirit in these passages. In chapter 14, verse 17, we've already read or already referred to the fact that the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him and he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The Holy Spirit lives in us so that we don't live as orphans. And this was specific to the disciples about whom Jesus was about to leave. But it also extends to us. And when we come to faith, God doesn't leave us alone. And we must recognize that. When we feel alone, he doesn't leave us alone. He's always there. He's always alongside. He's always with us. Through thick and thin, he's with us in the good times and the bad. And there's a lot of truth in that footsteps poem. You know the one? where the person is walking along and then there's only one set of footprints in the sand and the person says to God, where were you during those times? And he said, I carried you. I prefer the the variation on that one where there's a pair of footsteps and then there's some lines being, being drawn in the sand. And he says, what were those lines? He says, that's where I dragged you kicking and screaming. (laughs) (laughs) That's often the truth. But he's there all the time. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's with us in the good and the bad, through the highs and the lows. Oh God, you never let go. He never lets go. In chapter 16, verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he speaks, he will speak, uh, and he will tell you the things to come. The Holy Spirit is given to guide us into all truth. And that means as we trust him, he'll help us to recognize truth from error. Sometimes we're in situations, certainly I am, where I've heard somebody preach or where I've seen something, and it just doesn't sit right here. And that's the Holy Spirit. I remember feeling it the first time I watched Todd Bentley on YouTube. And from there I began to investigate the source of his message and his revelation. And sure enough, it was rooted in error and heresy. The Holy Spirit can lead us to identify these things if we act on what we're feeling. If something doesn't sit right with you, don't immediately dismiss it, but check it out. It may just be that you've had too much cheese. Or it may be the conviction of the Holy Spirit warning you against pursuing that doctrine or listening to that teacher or preacher anymore. And a number of times in Scripture, and the further the New Testament goes on, the later books comes through more and more, that we're warned to watch out for false doctrine. And unfortunately, in our day, there's an abundance of false doctrines flowing around, whether it be Bill Johnson's Christology or Joseph Prince's hyper-grace teaching. If we fill our minds with scripture and allow the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth, he will help us to discern the good from the bad and listen to the truth and dismiss the error. He 
He's the spirit who guides us into all truth. He affirms the Father's love. He guides us into all truth. He, gu- he glorifies Jesus. Chapter 16, verse 14. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit is here to bring glory to Jesus. And we too should be the same. At the center of our faith is the fact that God sent his son in a body of flesh to come and restore the world to him. And it's right that he's honored and glorified in all things. And this is what the Holy Spirit is here to do. As I've said before, I'm not too interested in singing songs about jumping in the river. Or even as an old Pentecostal song says, because I'm dwelling in Beulah land. What does that mean? (laughs) I want to sing about Jesus and all that he's done. I want to give thanks for the grace of the Father poured out through him. I want to appreciate the work of the Holy Spirit sent by the Father and the Son to help me live as I ought. That's what I want to give praise and worship about. And the Holy Spirit comes amongst us to bring glory to Jesus. He wants to lift Jesus up. He wants to make much of, his, of the Son, the Father's Son in this day. And if we focus on Jesus, we won't go far wrong. There are two further themes that I just want to pick up on before I close in these chapters. The first one is the theme, anything you ask. Chapter 14, verse 13. And I'll do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. Chapter 15, verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Chapter 15, verse 16. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Chapter 16, verse 23. In that day you will no longer ask me for anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Do you think this gives us carte blanche to ask for whatever we want from God? That's certainly how some people have interpreted these verses, particularly prosperity teachers. But there are two keys here that we miss at our peril. Firstly, Jesus says, you can ask anything you like if you're abiding in me. And we talked about abiding, remaining, dwelling, living in Christ. Because when you're in that place... What you desire flows out of what he desires. And you're so far in connection with him that what you ask is coming out of his heart and by, via the Spirit of God. And therefore you can have faith to receive it. It's not just about thinking, oh, what would I like today? Father, give me a new, brand new Porsche. Uh, no. <laughs> if I've got the resources to buy a Porsche, I might have that option. And that's something I can choose to do with my money. But I'm not going to ask the Father for it. Because that's not what, is, what this is, verse is talking about. It's talking about asking in the will of God, in the purpose of God, in the desire of God. And secondly, it says, ask in Jesus' name. I think we completely misunderstood stand what, that, what that means. Most of us tag in Jesus' name at the end of our prayers. In Jesus' name. As if it's some magic word that's going to get the Father to answer it. I strongly recommend don't use that term anymore. 
because it's meaningless just to tag that on the end of a prayer. In Jesus' name means asking in the will and in the manner that Jesus wants things asked. If you do something in Jesus' name, effectively you're being an ambassador. And it's going to the Father and saying, I'm asking this for you on behalf of Jesus. That's how powerful that means. Don't tag in Jesus' name on the end. Do it in Jesus' name. In other words, be so living in relationship with the Father that when you're coming, you're asking on behalf of Jesus because that's what he desires. In Jesus' name is meaningless unless we're flowing out of all that Jesus is and all that Jesus wants to do. It's become our way of closing prayers, hasn't it? But it's meaningless unless we're in that flow of the Holy Spirit that we know what Jesus wants. Sorry to shock you there. I can feel the silence. (laughs) The wave of doubt coming towards me. Because I've challenged one of our sacred cows. So remember, when you come to pray, you're praying as the ambassador of Jesus to the Father. You're bringing Jesus' desires to the Father that we might see the kingdom of God and the will of God done on earth as it's done in heaven. That's the truth of what we're doing. And that's how we pray in Jesus' name, seeing the will of God come to earth. Jesus concludes this section with reassuring words. In this world, you'll have trouble. (laughs) And that's certainly my experience. And probably is the experience of most of us, if not all. When we come to Jesus, our troubles don't disappear. Unlike how it used to say in a song. They probably get worse. But then comes the reassurance. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Whatever we go through, Jesus has already been there and he is overcome. And so we can overcome because he is with, with us by his spirit. No matter what comes against us, we are not alone. His spirit is with us and he has overcome. And therefore that gives us the trust, the promise and the hope that we will overcome because he has gone before us. In this world you will have trouble. But trust Jesus, because he's overcome the world. Amen. (laughs) Do you want to? Did you have a song left? I thought you did. We'll we'll just, not just, we'll sing to conclude and just refocus ourselves on the Lord. Let's pray first before we do. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. And I pray, Lord God, for each one of us, you will help us to live out your truth in fullness. That, Lord God, we might be all that you called us to be and see your kingdom coming on earth and your will done just as it's done in heaven. Amen.